Hey, and welcome to the Mentwarmers. I'm Gabe, and that's Jamie. We're here to talk about Jews and sports. We got a real banger of an episode today. Hey, us here, and thanks for subscribing to our podcast. We've been getting some great feedback from our fans, uh, both at home in Canada and in the United States, and across the pond in England. Uh, some people had some feedback on our Ajax and Tottenham takes. Uh, we'll have some more updates about that after the second game in that series is played. For now, we are very, very happy to have a interview with Jonathan Mayo, uh, writer for MLBPipeline.com. He's an MLB draft and prospect expert, and he was a big part of Heading Home, The Tale of Team Israel, a documentary about Team Israel at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Gabe, we both watched the documentary. Absolutely. Uh, just for our listeners, in the 2017 World Baseball Classic, a team made up of Jewish American baseball players playing under the flag of Israel as uh, international sports operates under the rule if you have a grandparent who is a citizen of a country uh, and can, therefore can become a citizen of that country, you can sort of rush your citizenship to play for that country. You don't actually need to go through the process. You can just play for them. So a number of American Jews who, by the right of return, are given Israeli citizenship, came together, played on that team, uh, they made it a lot farther than expectations were. It was an extremely, extremely fun run. And it's chronicled in this documentary, Heading Home, of which Jonathan Mayo, our guest today, is a very big part. Yeah, and really uh, thank you to Jonathan for joining us and sharing with us a little bit about what it was like putting that team together and just talking about what it means to be a Jew in sport and a Jew in baseball. It's a fascinating interview, and we can't wait for you guys to hear it. But first, I got a story for you, Jamie. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, my cousin uh, and her fiance were in Israel, sort of on a pre-wedding trip, okay. seeing, spending time in Israel, uh, and they're doing the whole tour thing, and they're at the Kotel. And uh, my future cousin-in-law, something catches his eye. Something very, very large who didn't want to pose for any pictures. It was Amare Stoudemire. Wow. at the Kotel. Wow. He was just doing his thing, wearing the whole tefillin, the kippah, davening, having a moment. So I don't know if we have any non-Jewish listeners, but if we uh, do, the Kotel is the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall, uh, considered the holiest site in Judaism. Uh, I don't know if we have any non-sports fans who are listeners, but Amari Stoudemire <laughs> is a former uh, power forward for the uh, Phoenix Suns and the New York Knicks, who, when he, when he became a member of the New York Knicks, embraced his alleged Jewish heritage. He discovered and- a Jewish heritage, and he's, he's all in, baby. He's all in. So I don't know what he's been up to. I think he, he's playing in Israel now. He's playing in Israel. And great to see that he's embracing his Judaism. Absolutely. Did your cousin-in-law say hi? He did. Uh, he asked for a picture and he said, not here. Wow. Well, so he respects the wall. You got to respect the temple. Wow. That's great. Well, great to hear Amare is still still exploring his Jewish roots. And, Absolutely. Uh, in his own dude, words, he's a Hebrew. Yeah, that's right. He's, a, he's the son of Hebrews. And I guess he, he's embracing it even more. Uh, on the topic of basketball, Jamie, I think we have a special edition of uh, Jew or Not Jew today. Do you want to take us through it? Yeah, that's right. So uh, as we're speaking, we currently have eight teams left in the NBA playoffs. Uh, there's four in the Eastern Conference and four in the Western Conference. Those series are both 2-1 or, or 2-2 right now. Do any of them have Jewish players? They do not. Okay. There is, we have not actually discussed this before, but there is one quasi-Jewish player in the NBA, which is Willie Cauley-Stein. And I didn't know this until recently, but he changed his name from Collie to include Stein, which is mother's maiden name, to embrace his Jewish grandparents. Wow. So he's half Jewish. Uh, haven't really seen him talk a lot about it, but 
member of the, of the Sacramento Kings team yep. that's coming up. So not in the NBA playoffs right now, but I'll tell you who is in the NBA playoffs, some Jewish NBA owners. Oh, wow. So I'm going to tell you the team and okay. I'm going to tell you the name of the owner. Yep. And you're going to tell me whether you think they're Jewish or not. Before this starts. Yep. I'm going to guess we're about to go eight for eight, but let's see. I, I'm going to tell you right now that you're not right. So, okay. So you're going to have to pick some non-Jews here. Okay. All right. So starting from the top in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics. Their owner is Wick Grusbeck. Wick? How do you spell that? It's W-Y-C. And I looked this up. It's short for Wyclef. <laughs> I know. Is that Dutch? Uh, I think it's either Dutch or English. Wyclef. John John Wycliffe or Wycliffe, I think, was a, a British philosopher. Right. Wow. Uh, hmm. Well, uh, it doesn't matter if he's Jewish or not. It's a Wyclef reference for sure. anyone who, who got that one. Um, I'm going to guess Wyclef is not Jewish. That's right. Not Okay. Jew. Okay. One for one. All right, on to the... Are there any Jewish Wyclefs, do you think? I don't think... Jewish Wyclefs? I can't imagine there are. So, on to the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets owner, officially the owner, is Ann Walton Cranky. Cranky's Jewish. Stan and company. Because Stan Cranky owns, owns a bunch of L.A. sports teams. Stan Cranky is the owner of the L.A. Rams. Ann Walton Cranky is his wife and is also the... A Walton uh, member. She's a Walton. She's the yeah. daughter of Sam Walton. Ann Walton Cranky is not a Jew. No. And Stan Cranky is often misidentified as a Jew. But he's, I, is he a Mike Jacobs all-star? He's or is, a Mike or, Jacobs all-star. Or is he just the victim of a lot of anti-Semitism? Yeah, just because you move your football team from St. Louis to L.A. for, uh, you know. And you're a rich guy. People you're assume you're guy. Jewish. But he's not a Jew. So she is not a Jew either. Wow. The Walton's not Jewish, you know, Arkansas family. So I'm one for two. You're one for two. Okay. This is going to be an easy one for you. I think the Golden State Warriors, Joe yep. Lacob is the owner. I would assume he is Jewish. He is Jewish. Right. Uh, and now the Houston Rockets, their opponent in the Western Conference semifinals, their owner, and I didn't know this, this is not an owner whose name I was familiar with. I never thought of who owned the Houston Rockets. Right. His name is Tillman Fertitta. Tillman Fertitta. He's a professional gambler, isn't he? I don't believe so. I think he's his money's in tech. In I'm tech? Not sure. I'm not certain. Well, Tillman Fertitta, is he a Jew or not a Jew? I'm going to guess he's not Jewish. He's not Jewish. Not a lot of Jews named Tillman either. No, I don't think so. So three for four right now. Yeah. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. This is two people yeah. who are both listed as co-owners, and I couldn't figure out who is the majority owner. Um, but their names are Mark Lazary and Wes Edens. I know about Wes Edens. I don't think he's Jewish. Their family looks pretty blonde. That's right. Uh, and as for Lazary, yeah, let's say it. That's right. Moroccan Jew, Mark Lazary. Wow, Moroccan. L-A-S-R-Y. What do you think the Sephardic community is like in Milwaukee? <laughs> I think it's just him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Giannis would, you know, have feta and, and rice with them? Uh, I'm sure there's some overlap there. Some fatouche salad? Sure. Greek and Moroccan uh, Mediterranean diet. It's not that different. Exactly. Okay. Now, this one's a little complicated. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are owned by a, uh, a bunch of people. Yeah, they're, a consortium. They're, exactly, a consortium. So I'm going to give you the name of the first person who comes up as sort of the, the owner. And I, I think this one's a gimme. His name is Joshua Harris. <laughs> okay. Is he a Jew or not a Jew? I guess. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, he is yeah. a Jew. Also, Jews are co-owners Adam Arun, David Blitzer, Martin Geller, David Heller, Mark Leader, and Michael Rubin. Okay. And, sorry, and Art Rubel. Art Rubel. But not co-owners Travis Hennings, James Lasseter, Handy Sotejo, Eric Thohier, Kevin Hart, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Will Smith. 
They those, all own a chunk of the 76ers? They all own a chunk of the 76ers. Some of those are not Jews. I apologize for the pronunciation of all that. Please, internet Philadelphia people, do not come at me the way you come at everybody else. So, <laughs> if Josh Harris is Jewish, is Tobias Harris Jewish, the Philadelphia 76er player? I think Joshua is a little more Jewish than Tobias. I don't know if there's any Jewish Tobiases anymore. Hmm. I guess Tobias, for Toby from the West Wing is the last one. Right. Yeah. Uh, is Tobias Funke Jewish? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. No. Um, okay, so the Portland Trailblazers facing yep. the Nuggets in the Western Conference semifinal. Uh, they are owned by the, unfortunately, the estate of Paul Allen. Yeah, he's not Jewish. He's not Jewish. That's correct. And that leaves us only with our hometown Toronto Raptors. Yep. Uh, of course, the majority of the team is owned by Rogers Communication and, and Bell, Bell Telephone, neither of which are Jewish organizations as far as I'm concerned. I don't think at any level anywhere in the company. That's right. Um, but 25% of Major League, uh, sorry, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is owned by Kilmer Sports, a.k.a. Larry Tenenbaum. Yep. I, I believe he was Jewish. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the, Jew, the Leafs and the Raptors played on the same night as the Jews when they, on the night of the first Seder in Passover. Uh, both Leafs and the Raptors had playoff games. And for what I am told, Larry Tenenbaum was quite, quite nebroigous over it. Yeah, well, I can understand his frustration, but as we've seen from this Jew or not a Jew uh, NBA owners edition, I mean, we didn't even go all 16 teams, and there's definitely a few that were eliminated in the first round that have Jewish owners. Uh, the Clippers, for sure, off the top of my head. Bomber sure. Jewish? Yeah, Bomber's Jewish. Really? Half Jewish, at least. I mean, I've seen him dance in that video. It yeah. looked pretty Jewish to me, but I don't know. So I guess Larry has a uh, an understandable argument, and nobody likes to see their team play when you've got other plans, but... It's not as though there was some team that had no Jewish owners or fans that was going to be spared that fate. That's true. And I certainly know Jewish people who went to the Raptors game right. that night. So uh, pretty decent shot for, if not a Jewish uh, finals MVP, then at least a Jewish owner's name engraved engraved on the Larry O'Brien trophy. Is that something they do? I, I don't feel think like, they engraved I don't, I don't it, think but you do. could have a Jewish owner hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. Yeah, he could be handed it from... Uh, fellow Jew Adam Silver. That's right. Yeah, at Jew or not Jew, Adam Silver. I think we know that one. <laughs> I think we know that one. Well, uh, that was this a good round of Jew or not a Jew. Yeah, I, I think we'll, maybe we'll come back with the NHL playoffs in a, in a couple of weeks and, yeah. and see if there's any Jews left there. I don't know about that. I think they're all gone. Is yeah, that there's that be. guy who plays on? Uh, well, there's Jaden Schwartz who was in Mike Jacobs All Star. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, who is not Jewish but plays for the St. Louis Blues, who as of this recording have not yet been eliminated. Right. And who has a Jewish sounding name might be mistaken for a Jew, but but not a Jew himself. Not quite. Well, um, should we get on with our interview? Should we bring our our groups? Uh, we were not quite popular enough to get John Ham, and we are a Jewish podcast, so we had to settle for John Mayo. That was that was great. <laughs> Just kidding, John. We love you. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our interview with John the Mayo. We'd love to talk to you uh, about heading home and Jews in baseball and uh, a bunch of stuff you've worked on, we've been following. So I think the best place to start is with the documentary. We've both seen it, and uh, we were sort of curious, how did you get involved with Team Israel, and uh, how, how did you get involved with the documentary, and, and what was your role in that? Sure. Uh and it's been it's been such a labor of love, so I'm happy to, to talk about that. It really started with an idea that I had um, of taking a group of Jewish players, American Jewish players, to Israel. Uh, and that kind of came out of 
conversations that I had, uh, you know, in my time as a baseball writer, talking to, to Jewish players, uh, in, you know, mostly in the big leagues, uh, about their willingness to embrace being known as Jewish ball players, even, you know, even if they didn't have much else in the way of Jewish identity. And I always found that fascinating and thought, boy, you know, it can be interesting to have them dive into that and explore what it means to be Jewish by taking them to, to Israel, because where else, you know, there's no better place to, to try to examine that. Of course. The the filmmakers, the Ironbound Films, uh, they did all the heavy lifting in the movie. I was just the idea guy. Uh, two of the three partners, Jeremy Newberger and uh, Daniel Miller, uh, and I went to sleepaway camp together, you know, some 30-whatever <laughs> years ago. The film is a great, truly Jewish origin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We grew up in Young Judea together. And, um, uh, in fact, Daniel Miller succeeded me on our regional board in, in New Jersey, Young Judea. Uh, so, I mean, there's all these ties. And Seth Kramer is the third partner. And he did not grow up in Young Judea, but did grow up in a Jewish youth movement. So it all fit together. But Jeremy and I, for a number of years, when we reconnected, um, I've been trying to come up with a project to work on together, and this was the idea uh, that we were going to try to do, except that no one wanted to pay for it. We just couldn't get anywhere with it. Sure. Then Team Israel qualified for the World Baseball Classic in Brooklyn, and suddenly people were interested again. And it, mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of crazy. Uh, we went from, what, you know, what was that, in September, uh, that they qualified, Maybe I think I got a call in early October, and in January we were in Israel. Wow. Taking the tour that you see for the first part of the film. And then after that, we're like, well, now we got to go to to Korea and oh, yeah. see what happens. And we we did a Kickstarter for that and uh, to, to help raise the funds to, to be able to do that. And I think all of us thought that maybe the sort of ultimate, that climactic scene would be the first pitch in Korea. They made it. Right. right? And they started winning games. Um, and it made it a much uh, much longer movie, uh, you know, rather than maybe a short film. It ended up being a full-length feature, uh, and obviously turned into much more of a, a baseball movie uh, overall than just about this sort of exploring your identity piece, which is still a, obviously a large part of the film. Right. Well, I, I guess there's a few ways to look at the movie. Uh, you can look at it, you know, obviously as a movie about Jews and Jews in sports. Uh, but I think it also works great just as a baseball movie. You know, this is a great baseball story, uh, a classic sort of trope of underdogs who sort of uh, are able to achieve something more than they would have thought. Uh, lots of lovable characters on the team, I thought, and, and that was presented great in the documentary. Um, you know, I think in some baseball movies, you don't necessarily see the end. It's sort of like in Major League when they the, the end of the movie is them winning the pennant, and you never find out if they win the World Series. But here you see the the ups and the downs. Uh as you mentioned, Israel had a great run at the World Baseball Classic. Ultimately, didn't didn't bring home the big prize, but you do get to see the whole arc of it, which I thought was great. Yeah, I mean, and listen, I mean, it's, uh, the 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 fact they made it to the second round was was enough. You know, uh, as as pointed out in the film, they like giving this away, but they were at two hundred to one. Uh, I think were the odds for, for Team Israel to win the World Baseball Classic. They were the the biggest long shot. Uh, mm-hmm. so for them to, uh, sweep through the first round and then win the first game of the second round, that way, I remember when we got to Japan, I, like, I, I had a feeling they were going to be competitive. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that they were being thought of as a sort of laughing fact, well, I, I realized wasn't fair. I didn't know 
the quality of the teams they were going to be facing other than the, the Netherlands. Uh, you know, I didn't know the Korean players or the, the Chinese Taipei players. So like that, that was more challenging. Uh, like to have an idea. I'm like, all right, these guys, most of them have played in the, in the big leagues at some point. They're, they're going to compete. I like people think they're going to just get, you know, destroyed. I'm like, no, this is, this is not the Jamaican bobsled team. You know, it's not that. And then when they, when they won the first game, when they beat Cuba in the first uh, game in the second round, that was when I also was like, wait a second, could they make it to the, the semifinal back in the States? No, that was, I had a, a personal, like I, I was like really torn up about it because obviously I wanted them to win the whole thing, but I was doing Florida through my normal spring training coverage, like two days after the, the tournament in Japan ended. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they won that game, I'm like, how, how am I going to do this? Like, because this was not a, this was not a work thing for me that I was doing this on, on my own. And, you know, MLB.com was great in terms of giving me the, the space to do it, but I couldn't shirk responsibilities, especially last minute like that. Sure. So, I, I mean, luckily I didn't have to cross that bridge, uh, for me. I mean, it would have been great to have to try to figure it out. Instead, I just went to Florida ridiculously jet lagged for my for my <laughs> Florida spring training coverage. But uh, but yeah, I mean that that was the one moment where I'm like, my goodness, maybe maybe they could do it. Who knew? You know, who knows? And then then the the fairy dust ran out and you know, right. they lost the next two games, yeah. and that was that. But boy, it was you know, I mean they they we didn't need to show them winning the pennant, right? Because what they did was so far beyond any expectations that it was a triumph, no matter no matter how it ended. There, there was a lot of Dainu in the uh, documentary that, you know, if we just make it to the to the tournament, if we just win a game, if we just score a run, and it just kept happening and kept happening. I actually wrote, I, I wrote yeah, I wrote a Dainu column for MLB, MLB.com after the end of it. Right. That's amazing. You and I are on the same wavelength. I want to go back to something you said earlier about players choosing to or not embrace their Jewish identity. There's a moment in the film where Ike Davis says, when you're playing in New York – it wasn't really a choice. Um, and he says he never really thought like he was Jewish, but he wasn't necessarily religious or observant or particularly culturally Jewish until it was sort of foisted upon him by Jewish fans. I mean, as a Jewish fan, I don't feel guilty about that. I think we're looking for anybody that we can sort of see ourselves in. Um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. And, and that's not unusual. Uh, you know, Sean Green, who, People give you know tons of credit for for being very sort of thoughtful about his kind of journey and becoming more Jewish. Is the first to admit that it really wasn't until uh, fans in Toronto started recognizing him, and then around Major League Baseball as being Jewish, and somebody mm-hmm. didn't run from it. But you know that that's what made him sort of start looking into it more and, and taking it more. I don't want to say more seriously because it's you, you, you do with your faith what you what you choose in in my opinion. So he chose to explore it more deeply. Uh, I think Ike Davis probably, without speaking for him, would have been happy if no one if no one had ever figured out that he was Jewish. He would have gone on and it would it would have been fine. He wasn't going to go out of his way to uh, to label himself as a Jewish baseball player, but. 
when it was recognized and it started coming up, especially in New York, yeah, you, you don't have a choice. But he could have very easily said, yes, my mother is Jewish. I don't really have much Jewish identity. And that mm-hmm. likely would have been the end of it. But I give a lot of these guys credit. Uh, you know, Ike Davis is not a deeply theological man. Uh, you know, it's he, he, not what he's, you know, he's not paid to think about these sorts of things. He didn't study it. None of sure. those things. He didn't grow up with a, a whole lot of it. So the very mm-hmm. fact that he sort of said, okay, yes, I didn't have a choice. You know, he can't run from it, but but might as well embrace it. It's not an, you know, it's not an either or you, you could not run from it, but you could also kind of ignore it right. for the most part. And then, and then people would stop talking about it, but he, he didn't do that. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't start, you know, sitting out on high holidays like Sean Green did and, and things of that nature, but uh, everyone has their own path. And uh, for me, actually, Ike is the one who kind of journeyed the farthest over the course of the, the experience of this movie where he was to me, the one who was kind of the most nervous about going to Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he talks about it in the film a little bit, uh, just nervous about being, you know, so publicly Jewish, so loudly Jewish. Right. And kind of by the end realizing it was kind of a cool deal. Right. So, you know, that was his, that was his, uh, baseball mikvah moment for lack of a, of a better phrase. I think there's, also sort of a a reticence in professional sports to do anything that would make you stand out. We've talked on this podcast before about uh, athletes who stick with the company line, say the quiet things, and just go about their business. And the athletes who are visibly Jewish tend not to do that. And and in the documentary, uh, some of the players talk about times where in, they were in the minor leagues in small towns where they uh, encountered uh, situations where they heard something anti-Semitic or, or something was yelled at them. Uh, so do you, do you get the feeling that uh, most Jewish ballplayers are keeping it to themselves for the most part? Um, maybe less so now um, because of oh. the success of the team. I mean, you know, winning, winning does bridge a lot of gaps and maybe make them a little more willing. Listen, they were playing on national and international TV with Israel across their jerseys. So they were, right. they were trumpeting it and they came yeah. back and everyone was talking about how awesome it was. So I, I you know, there was a lot of gain from that, that beyond the, the, the wins and the, you know, how it helped move Israel baseball forward and all those things. But in terms of their own thing, you know, for most of these guys, when they're in any professional clubhouse, wherever they played, they're often it. They're the one, you know, the Jewish player on the team. Right. Maybe, maybe there's two, but not, not, not so often. There's a tendency to not bring that up. Uh, and, you know, like America uh, in a lot of ways, like the United States, um, in a lot of ways, baseball is very Christian. They have chapel every Sunday. No, one, no one's ever saying, hey, come Davin Shacharit before, you know, before our game. Um, you know, that like that, 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 that there isn't that for, for, for Jews and listen, mm-hmm. they're a considerable minority. I get it. So I think there is that, uh, survival of the fittest mentality where like you want to fit in, you're going to be part of a team. And if you're surrounded by people, some of whom may have never met a Jew before, uh, you know, then, uh, 
then you're going to probably keep a little bit more to yourself. You know, and then and the fact that, you know, most of the guys were not guys who had uh, you know, necessarily had really strong Jewish upbringing. So it wasn't right. something that was as, you know, the, you see in the film, the, the certain players who had a stronger upbringing uh, displayed it and talked about it uh, in a much more overt way. So looking forward to the future, are, do you have any idea if there's going to be a 2021 base, World Baseball Classic? I know nothing's been announced yet, but are you, are you feeling optimistic about the prospects for a, another, uh, another go for Team Israel? I wish I had some sort of like inside information because I do work <laughs> for Major League Baseball's website, but I, I don't. You know, one of the things that I wondered about is when, when, when baseball was brought back to the Olympics for 2020, I wondered if that would make the World Baseball Classic obsolete because the whole event was started largely because uh, baseball had been removed from the Olympics. You know, I think there's room for, for both. You know, you have the World Cup for soccer and you have Olympic soccer and it's not, I don't hear anybody in you know, the international uh, sort of football community saying there's not time for both. You know, that, that seems somewhat ridiculous to me. So I'm hoping that it continues. I love the event. I think it's, it's taken a little while to gain some footing here, here in the United States, but uh, and some of that had to do with, you know, the American players not loving it. But I think this last one, when they won, and you saw players who had buy-in, uh, you know, players from international communities, this is like, they're all about international competition. They play in the Caribbean series or, uh, you know, players from Asia, they love competing uh, internationally against each other. So I-, I was lucky enough to cover a World Baseball Classic in Puerto Rico and it felt like the Caribbean series, which I also was lucky enough to cover once. So, uh, like, I hope the event continues, and not just because I want to see what Team Israel does for an encore. Uh, they do qualify automatically. They don't have to qualify again uh, because they won a game. I'm sure you get this question all the time, but if they were to have another classic, would there be more buy-in from some more established Jewish major leaguers? You know, your Ryan's Braun and so forth. Uh, I hope so. I, I mean, I really, I, I really hope so. I, I think two things will happen. And one is aspirational. And the aspirational is that you'll get some of those established players, uh, willing to play. What makes that difficult is if they, and that's likely what happen again, have to go, you know, three quarters of the way around the world to do it. Mm-hmm. They had trouble getting, you know, American stars to play for the United States and they were playing, you know, in, 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 in Florida. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, quite as onerous on us spectators, but I remember waking up at three, three or four in the morning to watch Team Israel play when they were in Korea and Japan. Was, it wasn't exactly the easiest thing to do. No, of course not. Of course not. Now, if they were smart, they would, you know, like round one for Team Israel would be like in Miami. Uh, there are some players who had expressed interest, and it's just like it just didn't work. Like Kevin Pillar really wanted to play and was – we had the, the sort of first iteration of the trip to Israel – where we couldn't find the funding, he was coming. Oh, wow, wow. And then he, and I think, my dog is very excited about Kevin Pillar. <laughs> Aren't we all? So, yeah, so he, he was going to come, and I, and I think had he come and had that experience, then he would have been more likely to play on the team. And he, you know, you got, I mean, he had the thumb injury, and he was just like, I think he, he really wanted to play, but he's like, I can't get out of my routine and rehabbing to get ready for the season by going and doing this. And that was understandable. 
The other one that was really uh, disappointing was Alex Bregman, who before the qualifier in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, he played in the Futures game. And I was talking to him, and he was all in. He could not wait, and he said, I'm playing in that qualifier. The only thing that will keep me from playing in that qualifier is if I get called up to the big leagues. <laughs> Two weeks later, he got called up to the big leagues. And so I think that – and then fast forward to, you know, to the, the, the actual team in the tournament, he was getting ready for his first uh, opening day roster. He'd gotten dinged up at the end of that year. I don't think the Astros were thrilled about the idea of him going. So he didn't sure. – he was like, I, I, I can't. Now, I think there's a possibility that he'd want to do it. Um, he loves the idea of it. The only thing, you know, is if he's starting – for Team USA at that point, um, which which could happen. I mean, you know, so those are the two stars. I mean, Ryan Braun by by uh, by 2021 is going to be, uh, you know, close to the end of his career. I would imagine um, he had not honestly expressed any interest in playing. So I don't I don't know if that's something he'd want to do. Well, speaking of that issue, you're mostly a uh, prospects writer. Uh, focusing on the young guys coming up in the game. Are there any Jewish names that you see uh, coming up in, in the amateur or minor league prospect ranks that you're keeping an eye out for? I don't know any in the amateur ranks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, unless my son, who's a senior in high school, is good enough to play in 2021, <laughs> but I don't, I don't see that happening. But hey, you never know. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, there are a couple of guys. I mean, Max Fried is a guy. You know, he's establishing himself in the big leagues. I think. He he's very interested. He was still sort of, you know, feeling his way back from after missing you know two years at Tommy John surgery and some setbacks. I I, I think he he probably would really want to play. Um, it, you know, as of right now, that's on paper. The the other thing I was going to say, you know, that I think will really happen is it's going to be a lot easier, I think, for Israel baseball to find the Jewish players. Uh, because they, even, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the World Baseball Classic, and I'll take a small bit of credit as the film started to come out, they started hearing about uh, about players who were Jewish. Because they said, wait, I could play for an Israel national team? There was a great story recently, and I can't remember the guy's name, but, you know, it was a college player, and... Because he saw heading home, he and and somebody you know somebody was at the movie to do a Q and A. They, uh, they were put in touch with Peter Kurz, the head of Israel Baseball, and he's going to be on the Olympic qualifying team. Wow! I think there's going to be more of those guys that like are even if they're not great players, but you know guys who are in the minor leagues, the Scotty Burchams of the world, you know who are who will come forward on their own now. So I I think that's going to be the probably more of the benefit than the like the sort of more established players rising tide bringing all boats yes yes i mean and i listen i would hope that some of the boats have some of those established guys and you, you, you never know i mean there are you know, there are others rowdy telez could play on team israel definitely the beefy boy chick he could play on three different teams which i find fascinating but um on mexico the u.s and israel yeah so i mean those 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 are the the players you know I, I don't know. There, there are guys in the minor leagues. You know, sort of have to wait and see 
where they're at. Well, uh, Jonathan, uh, I wanted to mention as well, uh, we really enjoyed your piece that you wrote in the wake of the uh, Tree of Life shooting. Uh, you're, you're from Pittsburgh, I understand. My, my dad's also actually uh, a, a Pittsburgh Jew. He's lived in Toronto for the last 30-odd years, but he grew up in Shadyside as well. Uh, can you talk uh, a little bit about what that meant for you or what it meant uh, to the Pittsburgh Jewish community? It's kind of hard to to uh, to put into words, but yeah, I live uh, around the corner from from Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not 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 a member of any of the of the specific congregations impacted, but we have close friends who who are, and uh, you know, from a direct contact standpoint, we were fortunate that none of them were in the building on that morning. But they spent, you know, the next week going to funerals, and uh, you know, this community is very strong in a, in a lot of ways, um, and you know, it's it's been a little bit more than than six months now. The the shooting in San Diego, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. it was horrible and triggering for for many of us, and it was. It's one of those things that unless you've personally experienced an event like this, it's, 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 it's hard to really fully understand. And, uh, and I mean, and unfortunately they're happening so frequently that um, more and more people are directly impacted by it. Um, So it's the worst, example of misery loves company that I could could ever think of I think we're we're starting to uh, move forward uh, as best as we can I think there's a lot of healing that still needs to to be done um, I I was you know, very in, amazed by the surrounding communities who stepped up came in support um, you know Specifically, you know, raising money for the congregations. Um, I don't want to get too overtly political on on your uh, on, on your podcast. Be my guest. Well, okay. Uh, there was there was a very large march uh, here uh, on on the day that a certain world leader decided to come visit when everyone told them not to, uh, and the people who came from all the communities, and I was one of the organizers of that march. Mm-hmm. Um, who came to to stand shoulder to shoulder with us was amazing, and what I'm working for and hoping to see more of, and we're seeing some of it, is that now the Jewish community, uh, obviously we're not done grieving, and we're and and we may never be done fully healing uh, from this, will start returning the favor to marginalized communities in this city. Pittsburgh is a wonderful place. It is like a lot of cities um, segregated in, in many mm-hmm. ways. And, and there's oftentimes people don't reach across communities. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they, you know, sort of only are looking within their own four walls. And if this taught us anything, we can't, we, we cannot do, that there's too much at stake. There are powers of evil who are trying to and and 
working to keep us apart when really we need to be standing together with those communities to help everyone move forward. It's uh, it's interesting. I've actually been to a Pittsburgh Pirates Jewish Heritage Night, uh, and it was a blast. They were selling – people were buying the uh, Pirates hats with the Megan David on it oh, and nice. the Temple Sinai saying the anthems, and it was it seemed like it was the most normal thing, just another game. Um, and to me, that's that's awesome. No, it's fantastic. It's is it was it's very cool to see. And there are a lot of teams that have Jewish Heritage Nights now, so it's a it's a great way to sort of reach out to the Jewish community. Listen, uh, speaking of that sort of thing, you're talking about like the 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 Pirates hats in Hebrew and things like that. The Team Israel hat. It's like a hot commodity. Oh, yeah. You know, this is a blue hat with a Jewish star on it. I mean, that's amazing that people like, and you can't find it because they didn't make enough of them. And so it will continue to be a, a kind of a collector's item for, for, for that reason. But uh, that's like another byproduct of, of this this whole thing and, and how exciting it, it was. But it sort of falls into that same the same bucket in terms of uh, of the success of Jewish Heritage Nights uh, in a number of markets. Absolutely. We've spoken on this podcast before about the uh, Mike James, Mike James, Mike Jacobs Jewish Heritage fiasco in Miami a few years ago. They gave out t-shirts with his face on it on, on Jewish Heritage Night, uh, not knowing that Mike Jacobs is actually not Jewish. Yeah, it generally helps to ask. We're also uh, not entirely sure how Robbie Grossman isn't Jewish. He's sort of a Mike Jacobs all-star. Right, right. Well, like, I, I got to think that there's somewhere, some, you know, in, in Robbie Grossman's family, uh, you know, maybe it's just a paternal grandfather. You know, somewhere somebody's <laughs> Jewish in, in all likelihood. But, you know, I, I'm on the mind of if you don't consider yourself Jewish, then that's totally fine. I've had really interesting conversations. Uh, I remember talking to Jason Kipnis, who does not identify as being Jewish, but does have a Jewish parent. And he, I had a conversation, this was, I think it was before he even made it up to the big leagues, or maybe he was just making it up to the big leagues. And he asked me, you know, like, how do I handle it? He wanted to handle it in a respectful way. The last thing you want to do is like, oh, you have a Jewish father. Yes, yes, sir. You just, no, I'm not Jewish. Like, of course. So I said, listen, I think if you're just honest and say, yes, my father is Jewish, but I was not raised Jewish in any way, I have the utmost respect for people who are Jewish or who practice whatever faith, but that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. That's the end of the discussion. I remember years and years ago when David Cohn was pitching for for first to math, there were these rumors going around that he had changed his last name from Cohen to Cohn. And now David Cohn, who's now a broadcaster and a really good one, was maybe the most media-savvy player I've seen ever. I mean, he was remarkable. He said that this was not, he didn't have anyone coach him, but he said, I, he said, in no way did I change my name. If my name had been Cohen and I was Jewish, I would, I would be celebrating that. I would not hide that from people. I'm like, yeah. my goodness, that was like the greatest, like honorary Jew answer ever. You know, so there are ways you can, you can answer that. If, if you don't consider yourself Jewish, that's fine. And that's what I told Jason Kipnis. And I, and I think, you know, that's largely what he's told people that, um, you know, that that's who he is. Now, if he's still playing 2021 and he wants to play for Team Israel. <laughs> We're always willing to take him. Well, uh, Jonathan, I think we have to wrap up there, but thank you so much for joining us. 
we'll be sure to post links to the Heading Home, the Team Israel documentary. Uh, sorry, Heading Home, the Tale of Team Israel, the documentary about the Israel baseball, Israel at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, people can read your writing on MLB.com. And thank you again for, for being here with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Great talking with you guys. Well, thank you to Jonathan Mayo for that scintillating discussion. And thanks all, to all of you for joining us again. Uh, please like and subscribe our podcast wherever you get your podcast feed. Uh, we're trying to do this on a bi-weekly schedule. Please also subscribe to the Canadian Jewish Schmooze, our sister, brother podcast. I feel like we're the little brother, right? Probably. Uh, there are mishpucha one way or the other. Please subscribe also or, or take a listen to the Canadian Jewish Schmooze also on the CJN Podcast Network. It's hosted by our producer, Alex, as well as the supervising producer of the CJN Podcast Network, Michael Freeman. And please like and subscribe that one as well. Um, this podcast is brought to you again by the Canadian Jewish News, and we thank them for their continued support. CJN Podcast Network. And we'll see you again whenever there's more sports news with Jews. <laughs> <laughs>